And all of this comes back to how it is that Christ is going to find a way to stop us from being ashamed at what he says to us, which is, I forgive you. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Scripture First, the podcast that explores how the Lutheran lectionary is working in your life. I'm your host, Mason Van Essen. This week, Adam Curie and I welcome Luther House of Studies Director of Lutheran Theology, Dr. Stephen Paulson, back to the podcast to discuss Jesus foretelling his death and resurrection to Peter. In this week's passage, Peter goes from correctly identifying Jesus' divinity as the Christ to one of the fastest 180s in human history by getting into what Dr. Paulson calls a rebuking duel with Jesus, resulting in Jesus telling him to get behind me, Satan. I'll read the passage in just a moment, but pay close attention to how Jesus explains how he's going to save us all in Peter's reaction to this news. Jesus tells Peter that he must suffer, be rejected, die, and be resurrected. Peter's response is to rebuke Jesus, or as Dr. Paulson explains, directly question Jesus' word. We asked Dr. Paulson, why does Peter and we today not want to hear that Jesus must suffer and die? And why does Jesus have such a sharp reaction in calling Peter Satan when he asks if there's another way to salvation other than Jesus dying? Dr. Paulson teaches us this week that the result of the law is shame and breaks down why we all feel shame and what Jesus says about our shame in this week's passage. Let's get to it. Here's Mark chapter 8 verses 31 through 38. Jesus foretells his death and resurrection. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And now on to this week's conversation. Welcome back to Scripture First. We have Dr. Paulson here with your host, Kiri, Adam, and myself. Thanks for being here, Dr. Paulson. I'm very glad to be here. Um, can we just kick off with 
So this is Jesus talking about his death and then his life after death. Can you just tell us about the significance of this? I mean, I think we know it going into the Lenten season and everything, but can you just dive in a little deeper? Yeah, so at verse 31, he says, the Son of Man must suffer, and Peter doesn't want to hear it. So there's your big problem right there. <laughs> he, want, he seems okay. Peter, Peter seems okay with having a Savior. It sounds good. I mean, if anybody came up to you and said, uh, you know, would you like your personal, own personal savior? You'd say yes. Uh, and Peter <laughs> said, that sounds really great. <laughs> then immediately after getting his own personal savior, Jesus says, now, this is what I mean by savior. This is what I mean by the son of man. There he's referring to uh, Daniel. Daniel is the first one to use that term. Uh, and Daniel says, when the son of man comes, he's going to bring his own kingdom. So Jesus uh, now says, this is the way it goes in my kingdom. I'm going to suffer, die, then I'll be raised. And resurrection sounds great, but the first two didn't sound good at all to Peter. And so immediately he comes in and uh, he says um, no to all of this. And that takes chutzpah. I mean, that takes a, you, you have to, uh, so he now is coming to Jesus and says, uh, no, that's, I don't want that. I don't. And, uh, and, and right after Peter had confessed to, to Christ saying, you are the Christ. So it's not as if he doesn't know that uh, the man standing in front of him is God. Yes. So he's, I mean, this is, that's, that's how much chutzpah it takes. Yeah. <laughs> so now he's going to say, uh, excuse me, I don't think you actually know what Messiah means or God means or son of man means. Let me try to help you understand this. And, you know, I, is that the way to speak to Jesus? I mean, he Jesus, thinks so. Yeah, he thinks so. In fact, even uh, the term that's used here is very strong. He, he takes Jesus aside and he rebukes him. Mm -hmm. Rebuking uh, is just the way it sounds. I mean, it's a, a terrible thing. And it's the same kind of word also that means he's warning. So a warning is a rebuke, and it's sort of... Um, in a soft way saying, uh, if you continue to go down this track, it's going to go very, very badly. So he's warning and he's rebuking and he's trying to get Jesus to take back the words that he just said. But Jesus will not take back words that he says. And now you actually have a, uh, you have a, a, you have a rebuking duel. So now they're in the middle of a rebuking duel, and whose rebuke is going to win? God. Yeah, well, it's not a man, you know. Uh. And it is funny because Adam is right. Uh, this comes right after uh, Peter's shining moment. Everybody in life is going to have one great big shining moment. You all know this. Y'all's uh, done. <laughs> and uh, you're just waiting for that big shining moment where you're going to do something and somebody's going to come in and bring, you know, a kind of double chocolate cake and say, <laughs> this is for you. This is, uh, this is your great moment. It's and, just going downhill and then, And then the moment you've got it, uh, and <laughs> Peter is standing there. Of course, we know a little bit uh, more about this because when Matthew tells the story, Matthew says there are two great big promises in between uh, Peter saying, uh, you are the Messiah. And there in Matthew it says, um, uh, and, and also in Luke, 
uh, Jesus says, I know that this didn't come from you. You couldn't have figured this out. It came from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Everything is yeah. looking great. Yep. Then he also says uh, um, to Peter, uh, this confession, what you just said, the thing that came out of you, that you are the Messiah, that is going to be the rock on which I'm going to build my entire church and the the, the the entire force of the devil and hell itself can never overcome it. It's fantastic. And then Peter comes out with this uh, <laughs> and turns around. And there has been no shorter-lived great moment in life than <laughs> Peter's. He's got his one shining moment. He's, a, he's got his gold medal. He's coming up on the stand uh, and he has trained all of his Olympic life for this. Uh, and he says, you are the Messiah. Great. Then immediately rebukes Jesus for saying that now, uh, when I save, this is the way I'm going to save. When I, when I save you, and what Jesus has just done is put himself into the person of Isaiah 53 which is really the most important place in all scripture. So Isaiah 53 verse 3 says now uh, that, uh, that, that, the, that the Savior, the, the Messiah, is going to be uh, uh, rejected by everyone. And when he's rejected by everyone, he is going to become a, a um, pariah. Yep. And nobody will even want to look at him. Yep. And Peter knows all of this. He knows the, the sermon in Isaiah 53, and he does not want Jesus to come and say, that sermon is now fulfilled in your hearing, and it's going to happen to me. And then Peter also knows, this is gonna, if it happens to me, it's going to happen to you. And then he tries to cut it off. And so they have their dual rebuking, and nothing went so fast uh, from saying uh, you are the Christ, you are the Christ to get behind me, Satan. So this is as sharp as you can get between the gospel and the law. To, to go back a little bit, um, the the verse thirty thirty one, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected. How how should we hear, especially this this must? Uh, because I think that's what Peter is rebuking. He says it. This must. Is, there has to be another way. There has to be another way. What, must how, be another way. <laughs> and that means uh, must is a is a legal word. Uh, it is a word that uh, tells you what the law is going to do. And um, it now is saying, and this is what really bothers Peter. And if you if you're going to have uh, God incarnate, if you're going to have the Son of Man with His new kingdom. And you're going to have a savior. And then he says, the law is going to do to me exactly what it does to each and every one of you, which is not, it, it doesn't reward you in the end. It is now going to accuse you and it is going to convict you. And in this way, now Peter says, Jesus, at least, you, at least this much must be true. When you have come to us all this way from heaven, certainly you are not going to be put under the law. And Jesus now is saying, "No, that's exactly what's going to happen." And uh, that, it, it, and the reason that that is happening is not because uh, I can't help myself or I can't stop myself. The must now is actually being turned from by Jesus. 
the reason I must go under the law and the law must in fact attack me is that I will not stop saving you. I am going to do this no matter what it takes. And this is in fact now what it's going to take. And Peter doesn't want that. Um, sorry, I have a question. Mm-hmm. So we talk, especially with Krogan and Sarah, we talk a lot about Satan and the devil. Um, and you know that it's the devil talking when he puts doubt in your ear, saying something like, did God really say? Did he really promise you this? Well, that isn't what Peter is saying here. At least from what I'm reading, it doesn't seem like that's what he's saying. So when Jesus rebukes Peter, mm-hmm. why does he say, get behind me, Satan, if Peter's not putting doubt it out there? Well, uh, <laughs> he is putting doubt yeah. out there. Uh, okay. And what is he What is he doubting? He's doubting what Jesus has just said. He's doubting that what is, he's going to go through? That, uh, that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day rise. So now okay. Peter's coming and saying, uh, I don't think that has to happen. I don't think that will happen. I don't think that must happen. I think, uh, as both of you said, there's a, there's got to be another way. There has to be another way out of this. So essentially, he's <clears throat> literally saying, did God really say? Because God God's really in front say. of him saying, this is what's going to happen. Yes. He just said it, and then he said, <laughs> did God really say that? Uh, he, he certainly couldn't have said that because it's not going to fit for you. And frankly, uh, Jesus, you're kind of going overboard because we don't have to go that far. Uh, all that we really need, people like me, what we really need uh, for a Savior is somebody who is going to just show us the way. I mean, uh, sort of dire- direct the traffic. Tell, yeah. tell us what to do. We're the blind uh, idiots. That yeah, and if you, if you actually told us, then there would be another kind of way. Yeah. Uh, and in that way, then, you would be... Um, certainly as great as Moses, maybe even greater, because what Jesus is doing here now is tying himself to Isaiah 53. He's also telling them one of the great prophecies of all Scripture, which is Deuteronomy 18, which was given to Moses because Moses was understood to be the greatest of the prophets. Why? Because God gave the law through him. This was the greatest thing that he gave on earth until he gave his own son. Now, in, uh, in Deuteronomy 18, Moses himself is raising the issue. Well, uh, if, I, if I'm so great, and if my office is so great, is this actually going to save the world? Then uh, the, 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 the prophecy comes, the word comes to him. No, there will be one who is greater than you who is going to come. Uh, and uh, Moses says, wow, I mean, you know, that's, he must really be great then. Uh, <laughs> and this is really going to be something. But nobody knew who that was, and nobody knew how this was going to unfold. And Peter in particular did not want, everybody wants somebody who's a little better than Moses, but what they want is a reformer. 
They want a cleaner upper. They want somebody who's going to come and say, you know, this kingdom has really gotten off the rails. However, I think I can get it back on the rails. I think we can actually make this thing work. It's gone into injustice, but I think we can bring justice back into it and actually make this kingdom work. And this is what Peter wants. He wants for the the old world to work and be improved, uh, reformed. He doesn't want a new kingdom or a new world. Mm-hmm. He thinks that the law is going to be sufficient if it's just explained a little more clearly and a little bit better. If you just told us, yeah. you know, more exactly what again. to do, just yeah, <laughs> and then then I think we'll we'll finally get it because uh, me and the other guys have talked. Uh, you know, we our little disciple group has talked. And we really think that we're right on the brink of something great here. So that if you would actually say what it is finally you want uh, for us to do that will take us over the, 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 the end line, then we think we're actually going to bring this kingdom in. And Jesus says, you don't know anything about this. And then finally this. Of course, not only does Peter want this old world to last, improve, get reformed, take it into the next world. Mm -hmm. But what he wants more than anything else is for salvation without death. Yeah. That's what he wants. And not just Peter, but you see this throughout all the Gospels. You see the, I mean, on the cross when they're saying, save yourself, Lord. Mm -hmm. Uh, You see it in Luke where the physician, heal thyself. Heal thyself. It's the the temptation (laughs) uh, is always for Christ to, to not die. Not to die. Do anything but that. So this is where we're getting that last part of what Jesus is saying to Peter, where he says, for you're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Exactly. And a human thing says, um, I think I'm not a lost cause. I think (laughs) that if you just help me a little bit. I uh, so uh, what? Of course, what he wants is what all of us want. Uh, is not an actual savior. We want a therapist. So he's going to Jesus and saying, <laughs> yep. "Could you just give me a little therapy? Because I think if I got a little bit more than I would, I, 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 I'd figure this better. out." And Jesus is saying, "Your thoughts are on uh, human things, and human things are th- humans think of two things. They think." How can I preserve my life? Mm-hmm. And how can I turn the law into something that favors me rather than something that is uh, criticizing me, showing my faults and so on? Accusing. Accusing me. And it, it, all he wants mm-hmm. is to turn that law, which he knows is the best thing God has given. It's what he gave Moses. And he's not yet ready for the greater one than Moses who's come, even though he is the one through the Holy Spirit, as Matthew points out. He's the one who said, you are the Messiah. He blurted it out. He confessed it. It came out of his mouth. It came out of his lips. When it came out of his lips, Jesus, of course, knew who, I mean, it, it, it didn't, it, he didn't think it up uh, in the middle of the night. Oh, I think I, I think I finally have broken through and I figured this out. The Holy Spirit gave it to him. He, the Holy Spirit told it to him. The Holy Spirit says, open your mouth and say this, mm-hmm. that he is the Messiah. So Peter says it. Then the minute Jesus hears uh, that he's that Peter is now saying no, he's rebuking him. He's saying, don't you know? It doesn't take 
your death. It doesn't take my death. Mm. Uh, we don't need a new kingdom. We just need a, a better form of the kingdom. Uh, the minute he hears that, then Jesus knows this is not the Holy Spirit speaking. Yeah. And when you don't have the Holy Spirit speaking, you don't have sort of a middle case there where you say, Peter, you're close, you're warm. Uh, you remember that game uh, uh, when you would uh, you would you would uh, hide something and then you would tell everybody uh, that they were hot when they were getting close and cold when they were going further away. <clears throat> Peter thinks that this is what Jesus is doing with him, and Jesus is now saying, "Peter, you're getting warm. Oh, you're getting really really close." Uh, but uh, and Peter thinks, "I'm going to just break through at this particular moment. I'm going to find it. I'm going to find that thing, and then uh, it will be." a great reward but uh jesus is saying uh is not saying peter you're getting warm that's why he doesn't say peter you were doing pretty well there uh i gave you an a now i would say you're kind of at a b minus uh for saying this no it goes from um the holy spirit gave this to you if we're reading in matthew to i now am hearing satan it's a, it's absolute, or it's a <clears throat> yeah. categorical. It's that, categorical. It's yeah. absolute, and you're either in one or in the, the other. Yeah. You're not sort of getting warm. You're not getting a little bit closer. And, then, and you're either what's coming out is either the word of Satan or it's the word of the Holy Spirit. And there's no way for Jesus to not know that it's from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is God and is Him. It's a trinity all in one. So yes. if anybody's going to identify if it's the Holy Spirit or Satan. That's exactly right. You can't right. really rebuke the guy who knows the Holy Spirit better than anybody. <laughs> you can't rebuke him because not only does he say the things of the Holy Spirit, but he is, as you say, the word that the Holy Spirit says. He is the one. That's why what's so important in this particular uh, thing is the promise that Christ is actually giving here, which is verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of the Father with the holy angels. Now, this this is talking about shame. Shame is the result of the law, not the result of the gospel. Why is shame the result of the law? Because you see that you haven't done it. And the feeling, the experience of it is shame. Now, Jesus is going to say, on the last day, when the judgment finally comes, and you're sitting there, Peter, and you think, I know he's going to pull out the Ten Commandments. He's going to go down the Ten Commandments. And I know that maybe I haven't gotten everyone just perfect, but I think I've got just enough to get over the, the, uh, the, the, the line. Uh, and uh, uh, Jesus is going to sh- say, um, when you're ashamed of what I say to you, then that shame is what you're going to hear on the final day. Um, and, of course, the whole thing is about me and my words. So, uh, Peter, what uh, you do with a Savior is you listen to the words he actually says. When he says those words, he's not saying them, um, these are not the words that are going to shame you. That was, Peter, I know that's the way you heard this. That's, that's why you came out with this thing about rebuking me. Um, and you were ashamed of what I, as the Savior, was doing. 
you were ashamed ashamed of uh, me dying. You were ashamed of me being uh, left alone. And of course, we know why this is. Because when I say that I'm going to be um, completely uh, rejected, yeah, um, this is also going to be you, Peter. Uh, he hasn't he hasn't told Peter uh, directly this. He will later, but he says this is good. This rejection is going to be total, and Peter is ashamed to hear that naturally. Because now he knows that not only does Jesus die, which is uh, itself a shameful thing for a god. I mean, what kind of a god does that? Uh, but also now the key thing is that he himself, Peter himself, is going to be the rejecter. And uh, he's rejecting Jesus' words right here. And now the big issue for Peter is, will I ever be able to hear Christ in his words? Will I always reject them? Is there something now uh, in me that is going to constantly reject? And of course, Jesus says, yes, that's, that's why I'm doing this. And um, until uh, I speak and you hear, this is not going to work at all. You're going to keep, uh, uh, you're going to keep find, trying to find an alternative route. Uh, and you you can't because the kingdom I've got is a new kingdom mm-hmm. and the kingdom I have and what I say to you is not the law mm-hmm. it's the gospel mm-hmm. and the gospel sounds like this I forgive you Peter now why are you so ashamed of that word I forgive you Peter what's so shameful about it and why don't you want it and of course this is the one that's going to keep coming back to Peter in fact the rest of Peter's life he, try, he will turn around and he'll give forgiveness to people and then he'll start feeling ashamed about it. Yeah, curious. Uh, and then he'll say, you know, I don't think, that's, that's not worthy of the divine Lord. There's got to be something better. Or, uh, and especially when he, he starts sending me out to Gentiles uh, and I'm, I'm starting to forgive them. I mean, what, what kind of a kingdom is this? And all of this comes back to how it is that Christ is going to find a way to stop us from being ashamed at what he says to us, which is, I forgive you. And um, that's what a Savior is. A Savior finds the way to say, I forgive you to you, so that finally you hear it, and it is not shameful to you. Uh, and uh, there is what Jesus has to do. This is why he says, you know, that he's going to have to do this. There isn't any other Messiah, and this is the only way that, that, uh, that you can do this. And I think it's important, too, to note that the feeling of shame, you can't choose not to feel shame. That's correct. Like, that's not something you internally, like, that Peter can choose to be like, now I don't feel like shame. That's yes. something that's happening to him. Ex- yes, but the- unfortunately, this is, when we go to our therapist, the therapist is trying to get you not to feel shame. Yep. But you are quite correct. You can't control shame. You uh, you can try, you can keep telling yourself, 
but these are thinking earthly thoughts. It knows nothing about the divine kingdom. It doesn't know anything about what God is saying. And so you say to yourself over and over again, I will not feel shame. I will not feel shame. I feel good. I feel strong about myself. I'm a good person. I, I don't deserve this and so on and so forth. And none of these things finally work. And uh, that, that, the, the end of that shame actually has to come from outside with an external word in such a way that it forgives sin and actually now puts you to death as an old creature trying to improve himself or yep. herself yep. and makes you into a new creature who does nothing all day long but sit there and listen to Jesus, what he calls me and my words. That's the whole thing. Yeah. This is what heaven is like. Heaven is me and my words. It's not you spouting off telling me what a Messiah is supposed to be. And there in heaven, Satan has no voice, has no word. Mm -hmm. yeah. But he, Jesus is also saying this, for each one of you, I am going to say not one word, but I'm going to say two words for, to you, just as I'm doing to Peter here. The first one is, get behind me, Satan. That's the first thing you're going to hear from me. And that is <clears throat> that will induce shame to some yes. in some re regards. It will. It, it, it should. Oh, it will. absolutely. <laughs> yes. He's yeah, literally no. calling you Satan. It yeah. Should. I mean, being uh, being called Satan by anybody <laughs> is not fun. Uh, it's worse than having somebody flip the bird at you, uh, which is bad enough. I mean, Put you my know, tail between my legs. You can go down. Way. You can go down the uh, the road, and uh, somebody will flip the bird at you, and you don't know who they are. You don't know what they. You'll never see them again. But Man, that really bothers you. Yeah, now I'm going to just have a sign in my car. So if they do that, then I'll pick up my sign and say, you're Satan. <laughs> no, you actually yes. just step on the gas, and then it quite literally says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Their answer, that's exactly the answer. Get behind me, Satan. And uh, that's that's a good that's a good business idea for a Luther House Study podcast. Yeah, bumper sticker, bumper sticker, bumper get sticker. behind yeah. me. <laughs> As we speak by them, breaking. Yes, the law. no, that's right, that's right. Yeah, well, uh, yes, oh I've done goodness. that many times. Okay, Hold uh, no. so that's true. Uh, get behind me, Satan is the first one you'll hear. The mm -hmm. second one is I forgive you, and the I forgive you will now end the shame. Okay, mm -hmm. I have a few questions. Yeah. And I do want to back up after this and talk a little bit more about verses 34 through 37. Mm -hmm. But before we do that, and maybe this will tie into it. Um, so in the last part of verse 38, it's um, Jesus talking. Mm -hmm. And he says, those are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of them. The son of man will also be ashamed when he comes in glory. So... A lot of, so while we're reading this, I'm literally only thinking like, oh, flipping cow, I'm Peter. Mm -hmm. Like all of us, because mm -hmm. all of us sin, all of us do all of this mm -hmm. on a regular daily basis. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. can I think for, from the first time reading this, it would, it's hard for people to decipher, okay, so when Jesus comes and he's ashamed of you, that means you're not going to heaven. So that's where you need to strive to be perfect. But the perfect people aren't the ones that Jesus came for. So can you break that down, especially from, I think, like 
the sermon and pulpit standpoint? Like, how do we get mm-hmm. that across to simpletons like myself? Well, how about this? Since you, you remember now a simpleton, as Plato uh, <laughs> says, is one who thinks only one thought. And in fact, the most famous person who picked this up is Soren Kierkegaard, uh, who said that... Uh, that f- finally, the truth is to think only one thought. So, having said that, uh, I'm now telling you that this was the wisest thing you've ever said. Uh, and uh, to be such a simpleton is what uh, Kierkegaard and Plato desired to be in life. All right. Now, here is the way we now speak uh, to those who who, uh, who who know only one thing. This is you should know only one thing. Okay. Go up to verse uh, uh, 34, right at the end, and uh, notice that Jesus says, uh, take up your cross and follow me, which sounds an awful lot like a rule and command. Uh, So there you've got one thing. And then notice at the uh, the end of this, uh, in verse 38, right at the end of that, it it, it is not um, whoever is following him, but he comes. So uh, up above, he says, follow me. Mm-hmm. Then down below, he says, I'm coming. Now, uh, it would seem like uh, the one uh, would be uh, that I'm trying to go where Jesus is going, uh, and I'm trying to get there. Meanwhile, he comes down with his angels. And when he comes down with his angels, he's going to say something. Now, that means that we can go back and say, well, what does this possibly mean? to say, pick up your cross and follow me, deny yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are the words that are going to come out, come bouncing out. Yeah. And they've been abused uh, since Christ uttered them. I mean, Peter gets goofed up with this. Everybody else gets goofed up with this. This is actually one of the main uh, foundations on which monasticism is built uh, disastrously. Because the idea was, Jesus is now giving us a command to pick up our cross and follow him. Now, what does that mean? The idea is, well, if I'm not suffering enough now, then I have to crank up the suffering. I've got to make the suffering bigger uh, in order to actually be a follower of his. And if I don't have enough, I've got to make some. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I got to give up something bigger for Lent. Uh, Lent. This is yeah. exactly where Lent goes, and it's the idea of giving up something bigger. So all of this Similar is a misunderstanding of this command from Christ to pick up your cross and follow me. The first thing you want to notice is that you are not picking up Christ's cross. You're picking up your cross. That's the first thing. Yep. The second thing you want to notice is that when you pick up your cross, you do not have to create a cross. You do not have to manufacture it. You don't have to increase it. You don't have to do anything more to do this. Jesus is saying, I'll lay it on you, uh, and uh, don't worry about this. Mm -hmm. Then we can go a step further. What does it mean to have the cross laid on you? Not one that you manufacture or or do, and nor, nor do you have to pick up Christ's cross, because this means that you don't have to take up your cross in order to save anybody, including yourself. Yeah. That's Christ's cross. He'll do that. Well, what what am I doing with this? Um, Here is where Luther again uh, breaks through, and he says to his congregation when he's preaching on this, he did this a number of times, he said, look, what it means to have the cross 
is what you feel and see. That's what the cross is. And what do you feel and see? You do not see glory. You do not see power. You do not see the kingdom in its uh, glorious form. You don't see the angels and so on. What do you feel? I feel uh, that um, I am very uncertain about what God thinks about me. I, I, I worried every minute that uh, that I might say, you're the Messiah, and then the next, I'm going to rebuke him, and he's going to say, get behind me. Say He's going to call me Satan. Uh, and this is what it means to actually have a cross. That means that you're going to learn in your Christian life not to trust your feeling of shame, not to trust what, what, uh, what, what your eyes see as far as sparkling... Uh, Uh, glorious things. Instead, it's me and my words. That's it. Mm -hmm. Me and my words. That means to pick up your cross means even though you say, I think God doesn't like me. I think he's actually giving me suffering and he's laying it on me. And that must mean something. It must mean that I'm not his favored any longer. Then you say, ah, but Jesus said, only me and my words, only me and my words. So I am not going to any longer uh, run my life according to my feeling or my sight. I'm only going to hear what he's saying to me. And then whether I'm David, Psalm 88, which says, you have abandoned me, God, or Psalm 22, which Jesus himself uses on the cross. Uh, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the cross. Now we say, but I am not going to trust my feeling or my sight. I'm only going to trust his word. Me and my words, he says, me and my words. That's it. That makes up heaven. Then you are not coming up to me. I come down with you, to, to you. Not only do I come down myself, but in the final day, I bring the whole panoply of angels, which are all my preachers. And when they come down, there's going to be a wonderful chorus. And they're all going to say the exact same thing to you in exactly the same time and in the same moment. They're all going to say, I forgive you. And this will be me and my words. And you'll say, aha, there. That is the kingdom. This is the world that does not live by the law, but by the gospel. And this is also what it means to deny yourself. Mm-hmm. To deny yourself is not to stop eating meat, red meat, during Lent. That's not denial of self. Denial of (laughs) self is to quit talking to yourself. Or if you can't quit talking to yourself, then quit listening to yourself. Because the only thing that you say to yourself is, I'm ashamed. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm I worried about how this is going to turn out. Yeah. I'm not sure what the end is going to be. So deny yourself. Deny yourself is to say, shut up to yourself. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, of course, in this circumstance, you say, I'm only listening to me and my words. Me and my words. Me and my words. Why don't you, some of you uh, make a little song? Uh, we can, <laughs> we, we can uh, sing with we'll our sing guitar the at, uh, <laughs> around the fire uh, and, uh, and actually then uh, understand what it means to uh, bear our cross, to follow him, to deny ourselves, and we end up 
on the last and great final day with nothing but the angels and Christ uh, saying, me and my words, that's it. And uh, when we speak this way, then this is what lifts us out of death Mm -hmm. into new life. And whenever I preach on this, I always remember that this is the verse that I used for my beloved teacher, Gerhard Ferdy. When he uh, was laid to rest and he uh, fell asleep in Christ, these are the words that I used for his funeral service. And I want other people to hear this as well. Uh, when When the cross is laid on you and the denial of self, you're going to hear only Christ speaking to you. And when he speaks to you, finally the shame is over, the death is over, and his kingdom will never end. And on that note, we've reached the end of this week's episode, my friends. Thank you to Dr. Stephen Paulson for teaching us that shame is the result of the law, not the gospel. And why is shame the result of the law? Because we all know we haven't done it. We, like Peter, want salvation without Jesus having to suffer and die, and actually rebuke him for telling us that he will go to any lengths to save us, including dying for our sins. Dr. Paulson taught us this week that we don't need to feel ashamed of Jesus' forgiveness. In fact, when Jesus tells you to take up your cross and follow me, he's not saying you have to pick up his cross, and he's not telling you you need to create your, your own cross or somehow make it heavier. As Luther said, your cross is what you feel and what you see. Your cross of suffering will be laid on you in this life. But in the end, Jesus and his choir of angels will have the final word over you. You are forgiven. Thanks again for joining us this week. Remember, it's Jesus and his words that will have the final say over you. Me and my words. Me and my words. We'll see you next time on Scripture First.